0: We have three passages, short passages, to read tonight in conjunction with Lord's Day 19, which deals with the last two steps of Christ's exaltation. The first passage is Hebrews 4:14 4, through 16. Hebrews 4:14 4, through 16. Hear the word of God. Seeing then that we have a great high priest. That is passed into the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession. For we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. Let us therefore come boldly unto the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. And then John 17, John 17. The famous high priestly prayer of Jesus. We'll read just a few verses, 9 to 11 and then 20 to 24. John 17:9. <clears throat> I pray for them. I pray not for the world, But for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine, and all mine are thine, and thine are mine, and I am glorified in them. And now, I am no more in the world, but these are in the world, and I come to thee. Holy Father, keep through thine own name those whom thou hast given me, that they may be one, As we are. And then verse 20 to 24. Neither pray I for these alone, but for them also which shall believe on me through their word, that they all may be one, as Thou Father art in me and I in Thee, that they may also be one in us, that the world may believe that Thou hast sent me. And the glory which Thou gavest me I have given them. That they may be one, even as we are one. I in them, and thou in me, that they may be made perfect in one, and that the world may know that thou hast sent me, and hast loved them as thou hast loved me. Father, I will that they also, whom thou hast given me, be with me where I am, that they may behold my glory. Which thou hast given me, for thou lovest me before the foundation of the world. And then Revelation, Book of Revelation, chapter 20, <clears throat> 11 through 15. Revelation 20, 11. And I saw a great white throne and him that sat on it, from whose face the earth and the heaven fled away, and there was found no place for them. And I saw the dead, small and great, stand before God, and the books were open, and another book was opened, which is the book of life, and the dead were judged out of those things which were written in the books according to their works. And the sea gave up the dead which were in them, and in it... May God bless the reading of His uh, sacred Word. Dear church family, the Puritan Thomas Goodwin has a rather amazing, powerful little book called Christ's Heart, Christ's Beautiful Heart, in heaven to His people here on earth. And he argues in that book on scriptural grounds, that it is better for the people of God on earth to have Christ in heaven than on earth so that He can exercise His beautiful heart from heaven all over the globe by the ministry of His Spirit. And that is nowhere more evident than in the third and fourth steps, the last two steps, of what we call His state of exaltation. He's sitting at the right hand of God and is coming again to judge the living and the dead. And in the Catechism, we're at that part, uh, Articles 6b and 7 of the Apostles' Creed, that look at those two steps. And so tonight, we want to do that from the perspective of Christ's beautiful heart in heaven toward His own. Our text is hebrews four fourteen and fifteen We'll be reading several texts tonight, however, um, seeing then that we have a great high priest that is passed into the heavens, Jesus the Son of God, let us hold fast our profession, for we have not an high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities, but was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin, and then also John seventeen Verse 9, I pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. And we'll do that in conjunction with Lord's Day 19 of the Catechism, questions 50 to 52. Why is it added, and he sitteth at the right hand of God? Because Christ is ascended into heaven for this end, that he might appear as head of his church, by whom the Father "...governs all things." 51. "...what profit is this glory of Christ our head unto us, first that by His Holy Spirit He pours out heavenly graces upon us, His members, and then that by His power He defends and preserves us against all enemies." And 52. "...what comfort is it to thee that Christ shall come again to judge the quick that is the living and the dead?" That in all my sorrows and persecutions, with uplifted head, I look for the very same person who before offered himself for my sake to the tribunal of God and has removed all curse from me to come as judge from heaven, who shall cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but shall translate me with all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joys and glory. Well, obviously, you'll feel right away that this is a magnificent, incredibly worded Lord's Day that summarizes beautifully the last two steps of Christ's exaltation in its broad-sweeping scriptural content. So our theme then, Christ's beautiful heart in heaven toward His own, I'm going to look at six thoughts briefly with you. His governing heart, His compassionate heart, His gracious heart, His intercessory heart, His protecting heart, and His intimate heart. All in heaven to us here on earth. I believe in Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father. That's a stunning statement all by itself. That Jesus arose is miraculous. That He ascended and is sitting in the third heavens. In the presence of His Father. Is a stunning statement as well. And yet wrapped in this stunning statement. Is the entire hope, the expectation, the comfort, the future of The living church of God. And so the message of the third and the fourth steps of Christ's exaltation is simply this. The church is not alone. The church is not alone. Our Lord is with us at the Father's right hand. We are not in our own hands. We are in His hands. The church is in the hands, the living church, of a strong and almighty King who cannot and will not let her go. And so even when she's surrounded by enemies, even when she's fickle and changeable and weak and inconsistent, the church still confesses, I believe in Jesus Christ who is at the right hand of the Father, who governs all things, And holds the church in the palms of His hands. So in Jesus Christ, and that's our comfort, dwells all the fullness of the Godhead bodily. He's the King of kings. Not just an earthly king, but He's a heavenly king at the Father's right hand. An enthroned king who sits on the throne of justice and the throne of grace as one throne. And there He does wonderful things for His own. And so we believe the Apostles' Creed based on the Word of God that Jesus Himself said to us, ye believe in God, believe also in Me. And we do, by grace, believe in Him who sits at the Father's right hand. Now that's a tremendous comfort. It's one thing To know that he died for me on Calvary, which is overwhelming in his comfort. But equally overwhelming is that he's now living for me at the right hand of the Father to keep me, to preserve me all the way to the celestial city. So that in those times, particularly when I feel like I can't continue, when I feel like I'm overwhelmed perhaps when my faith is very small so that I hardly dare to say I have faith, here is my Savior, exalted, promising to intercede for me to the end every single second. Also for you, bruised reed, for you, weakened faith, for you, smoking flax, because He is the rock of salvation, because He is the King, and because weak faith is saving faith every bit as much as strong faith is. He holds the weak in his hands. He hears the needy when they cry. He fulfills the desires of those who long to have him. Oh, lift up the hands which hang down. Lift up the heads. Lift them up. Gaze upon Him who sits at the Father's right hand, who's living, who's all-powerful, who's all-knowing. Your King Child of God reigns. He's beautiful in His governing heart from the right hand of the Father. But we see Jesus, says the author to the Hebrews two nine, We see Jesus crowned with glory and honor And thou hast put all things in subjection under his feet. And the all things also means all people. The unsaved, but also the saved. And so if you have your hope by the grace of God outside of yourself in Christ, you have no reason to fear. You are being governed by him. And everything of his government is under his feet. He's exalted. His feet rest upon this lowly earth as his footstool. He will govern you. He's in control over you. He'll be his breaker to go before you. He will make no mistakes in your life. There's nothing that happens by chance. For you too, dear beleaguered, tossed with tempest sinner, the door of hope opens to him who sits at God's right hand. Too often when we look around us, as I said in prayer, we can get discouraged, especially lately, with what's going on in our nation, all the immorality, all the godless decisions being made. We can be discouraged, and we can have our own personal struggles, family trials, afflictions. We can be prone to despair. But you see, this Article 6 of the Apostles' Creed says, There is no reason for despair. Lift up your eyes. Go to the right hand, as our Lord's Supper form says it so beautifully. Go to the right hand of the Father, whither all the articles of our faith lead us. All of them. Lead us back to a living, risen, exalted Jesus crowned with glory. Revelation 1 says he's the prince of the kings of this earth. Ephesians 1 says he's at the Father's right hand in heavenly places. Philippians 2, 9 says, Wherefore God has highly exalted him and given him a name above every name. Yes, also above the name of Satan. Satan will not have you because Christ is exalted. So you need to do just what, and I need to do, just what Martin Luther said, he did. He said, when Satan attacks me, I say, Satan, you're at the wrong address. My head is in heaven. And he's above you. He's mightier than you. He's the Lord. You're just a fallen angel. He can do all things. You can't. And if you want me, you have to get at him first. And you can't get at him. He's safe at his Father's right hand. And he's all-powerful also over you. And he'll throw you in the everlasting pit, Satan. My victory is sure. Because I'm in him. That's the comfort of this beautiful heart of Christ in heaven. He governs, first of all, every detail of your life. He says, down to the very hairs of your head. That's amazing. And it's all the more amazing when our lives are fraught with trouble and disappointment and discouragement and sadness and trial. And when we feel like we're just needy sinners Barely able to keep our heads above water? He says, Believe in Jesus Christ who sits at the right hand of the Father. Believe that all power is given unto me in heaven and on earth. I have power to convert you. I have power to keep you in the ways of grace. I have power to bring you to glory. I have power to make everything well for I govern all things at the right hand of the father. Now, what does this mean at the right hand of his father? Well, very briefly, symbolically, we could say it means, it means four things. First, it means to be at someone's right hand was a position of power. The right hand of the Lord is exalted, Psalm 118.16 says. In Exodus 15.6, Moses and the children of Israel sang from their hearts when the enemy was destroyed. Thy right hand, O Lord, is become glorious in power. Thy right hand, O Lord, has dashed in pieces the enemy. The right hand was a metaphor for power. This Savior governs all things with power. He sits at the Father's right hand. But the right hand also was a symbol of highest dignity and honor. To be at God's right hand is to be clothed with the honorable majesty of God Himself. Psalm 110 says, The Lord, that's the Father, said unto my Lord, that's Jesus, sit thou at my right hand. Why? Because thou art crowned victorious Son of God. Until I make thy enemies thy footstool, I have set my king upon my holy hill of Zion. Jesus himself said, Matthew 26, Hereafter shall you see the Son of Man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. So first, the right hand of the Father is a position of power. Second, it's a position of dignity and honor. Third, it's a symbol of rest. Of completion. Of victory. It's a confirmation of the it is finished. Of Calvary. Christ is resting. He's sitting. It's a position of rest. As the victorious King of Kings. Having accomplished Mediatorial satisfaction. And fourth, the right hand of the Father symbolizes reigning. He's reigning from the Father's right hand. He's employed from the Father's right hand in gathering His church with His Godhead, Majesty, Grace, and Spirit as the catechism says back in Lord's Day 18. He's sitting at the right hand of the Father. That implies He's firmly entrenched in His position of kingship. He's exercising His authority 24-7, 365, upon the sons and daughters of men. He's confirming Colossians 1.18. He's the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things He might have preeminence you let your soul camp right there and your fears will dissipate and your comfort will be multiplied because the entire church and her every hair is in his hands Do you believe that? Do you believe with the church of all ages? I believe in Him who sits at the Father's right hand. I believe He's governing me now. My children, my grandchildren, my circumstances, no matter how hard they are, He knows. My own stony heart, He knows. What does His sitting at the right hand of God Christ, at right hand of God, mean to, mean to you? Do you live only out of a crucified Savior? And not out of an exalted Savior? Do you know what it means experientially to bring all your emptiness, all your need, all your confusion, all your sin, all your discouragement to an exalted Savior who has all power in His hands, who is almighty, not just to save you and keep you safe, but to save your children and your grandchildren and all those near and dear to you. Every time you get discouraged, every time I get discouraged, what we ought to do, what we ought to do, is we ought to get down on our knees and say, Lord, I give all these discouragements into Thy all-governing hands, into Thy beautiful heart, that governs according to thy will. We ought to say, but we see Jesus crowned with glory and honor. We trust Him. He governs all things. Yes, you say, but my, but my son or my spouse or my parent, they're, they're, they're prodigal and they're far away. They're in the wrong place. and It's hard to believe at such a time that He's head of the church. That he has this beautiful heart to govern. Well, the Lord isn't done yet with your child, with your spouse, with your parent. Is he? Who knows whether it not might not be your prodigal son that might be the next one saved. Or your wandering daughter. Or your unconverted friend. Or your, or, or, or your godless uh, spouse. So what must you do? Well, you cast yourself at the feet of this exalted king And you say, if I perish, I perish, Lord. But I perish then at thy feet. I trust thy power. I trust that thou art the only place, really, where I need to be. All the articles of my faith, that is, all the doctrines of the Bible, lead me to the Father's right hand. John Calvin put it so well. When he said, The great goal of the Lord's Supper is not to get Jesus to come down to us, but to lift us up to the right hand of the Father, there to sup with Him by faith. Jesus Christ gathers from within His church. He gathers from outside of His church. He's the head of the church. He's got a beautiful heart that governs from heaven, conquering whom He will conquer. And that head of the church Still lives tonight. Still works tonight. He's the head of the church. He's the substance of the church. The mediator of the church. The preserver of the church. The surety of the church. The testator of the church. The all and in all of the church. Why wouldn't He appear also to you? Trust Him. Fall before Him. And say, I believe that he sitteth at the right hand of God for this end, that he might appear as head of the church by whom the Father governs all things. So the governing heart of the Father and the headship of the Son, the governing beautiful heart of the Son, are one, as we read from the Athanasian Creed, in essence. And that means he rules all things. He rules angels and devils. He rules, he rules all things in, in this world and, and in the church. He's, he's, the history of the world is subordinate to the history of the church. The world is a scaffolding serving the construction of the church. He governs all things. Even those decisions by government that we can't understand. It's all to that end. That he says, upon this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Glorious things of the earth spoken, Zion, city of our God, he whose word cannot be broken, form thee for his own abode. On the rock of ages founded, what can shake thy sure repose? With salvation's walls surrounded, thou may smile at all thy foes. So yes, We are all unfinished products. That's why we're still here in this world. If God was finished with us, He'd take us home. We're all unfinished products. And there's all kinds of flaws and faults in every one of us. But the beautiful thing is there's no flaws and no faults in Christ or in His work. And He'll finish that work. And He'll take you to Himself, dear child of God. As Richard Sibbs put it, he's the king of his church, and the church is the greatest queen in the world, and he will take his queen to himself. He has a beautiful governing heart in heaven. But he also has a beautiful compassionate heart. That's our our second thought a beautiful compassionate heart. You know, in this book of of Thomas Goodwin, he he develops it so so well. And uh, he says, At the right hand of the Father, what the Scriptures do is they open up a window. They open up a window into Christ's compassionate heart. He says, The Bible doth, as it were, take our hands and lay them upon Christ's breast and let us feel how His heart beats toward us even now when He is in glory. And the main text that Goodwin uses to prove this is Hebrews 4, 14 and 15, which I've read to you. He says, in this text, there's both a problem and a solution. The problem is that Christ seems so far away for our human senses. And we think, can he really have that beautiful heart of compassion to me? When he's way up in heaven, and I'm down in this lowly earth, how can I approach him as a king? How can how can I expect him? in exalted power and holiness to, to even bother with me when he is the king of the universe? How can I expect him to bear patiently with me when, when I'm weak and foolish and sinful? And Goodwin says, well, look at the double negative in verse 15. We have not a high priest which cannot be touched with the feeling of our infirmities. In other words, a strong positive. Our high priest... At the right hand of the Father, who has passed into the heavens, is fully attuned. Fully attuned, the author of the Hebrews is saying, to all our infirmities, all our afflictions, all our sins. He has compassion, he goes on to say in chapter 5, verse 2, on the ignorant and those that are out of the way. I think Goodwin does something amazing in his book. He says, you know, if you're a father and your child sins and brings himself or herself into deep consequences because of those sins, you don't kick him out of the house. You're not angry so much as you feel pity, don't you? If your child becomes very sick, you weep with him. You tend to his knees. So Christ, he says, responds to our sins, even our sins, with compassion, despite his abhorrence of them. He's got that sympathetic, compassionate heart in heaven. Because he was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin. And because he who knew no sin became sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. Listen to Goodwin again. Christ took to heart all that befell him as deeply as might be. He slighted no cross, either from God or men, but hadn't felt the utmost load of it. Yea, his heart was made more tender in all sorts of affections than any of ours ever will be, even as it was in love and pity. And this is what made him a man of sorrows, and that more than any other man was or shall ever be." And so He bore all our sin. He bore all the wrath of God, all the hell that we deserved in His humiliation. But now, having given the full price, having drunk the cup of His Father's wrath to its bottom bitter dregs, now in heaven, His heart is full of high priestly compassion for us in all our infirmities to meet our every need. He comes with His sympathy. He comes with His compassion. He comes with all the affections of love, and He pours them out upon us. And the promises are everywhere. They're here in in Hebrews 4, also Hebrews 10. Let us hold fast a profession of our faith without wavering, for He is faithful, that is promised. Uh, John 13, verse 1, He loved His own which were in the world. He loved them to the end. John 14-16, through 16, Jesus talks about His eternal love for His own. He actually is saying, I cannot live without you. I'll never be quiet till I have you to be with me where I am, so we may never part again. Jesus has this dearest friend heart that looks at every child of God as if he were his best friend. He promises to pray for us in heaven and to send answers like love letters from a bridegroom to his beloved through his holy word. And the whole Father and the whole Son and the whole Spirit is all involved in this compassion. It's not just the Son. Through the Son, you see, the other persons of the Trinity are also filled with compassion. That's evident from Hebrews 4, 14 and 15. Also the Father, you see. Christ didn't take this office by his own initiative, but he was appointed to it by the Father. The Father has the same sympathy for his own that Jesus has. In seeing the Father's loving heart, we see the Son's loving heart, and vice versa. And then, Also the Holy Spirit. He's the one that gave Christ the body to go out and to suffer. He's the one that met Christ at every step of His ministry to to meet all His needs from His incarnation to His ascension. So the Spirit now takes the mission of the ascended Christ and He is sent out, as it were, by the Son to do the Son's work in this world, to take the things of Christ and to show them unto believers. Jesus is mercy and compassion in the flesh. And the Father and the Spirit validate that with the work also in which they're engaged to do. And so he has this incredibly compassionate heart in heaven, this beautiful, compassionate heart. You can tell him everything. He never tires of hearing you. Never tires of hearing your complaints in all your miseries and distresses. Though every human comforter fails, we have a friend in heaven who will help and pity us. The Lord Jesus Christ. What a Savior. What a beautiful heart He has in heaven. And then, thirdly, this heart, says our instructor, is a gracious heart. Notice question 51. What profit is this glory of Christ our head to us? First, that by His Holy Spirit, He pours out His heavenly graces upon us, His members. It's a gracious heart. A gracious heart. He pours out upon us His graces. Now, this pouring means at least three things. First, it means you can't pour... Anything into a vessel if it's already full. So to pour His graces, He first empties us. And that, that can be painful. He pours out His graces into His members whom He first empties. And second, the symbol of pouring is here written in the present tense. That is, He's ever pouring. He continues to pour. Every day He's pouring out His graces into us. That's just a beautiful Beautiful thing. You have a God, dear child of God, who pours out His graces. Jesus Christ, at the right hand of the Father, pours out His heart, full of grace to you every day. You see it in external things, of course, like, well, you've got food for another meal. You've got clothing to wear. You've got uh, family to live with, most of you. You've got friends to support you. But more than that, you see, he pours out the graces of Bible truth. He pours out the graces of his glorious doctrines. He pours out the graces of his wonderful attributes. He pours out the graces that flow from his beautiful heart. And he gives you strength and fellowship and communion each day through his word with a smile, as it were. I say it with reverence on his face. I am with you, my child. I will help you every day. I will help you the whole day. I will help you when you must go through life poor and distraught and empty and needy. I will fill you with my graces. He pours out His heavenly graces. Graces that flow from His offices, as prophet, priest, and king. Graces that flow from His person. Graces that flow from His natures. Graces that flow from His states. Graces that flow from the fullness of him who is all and in all. Well, thirdly, this pouring implies, then doesn't it, abundance. It doesn't say, I'll just trickle out my graces. It says, I will pour them out. This is the New Testament era. The Holy Spirit is poured out by Christ. Not in drops and sprinkles as under the old dispensation. But now it's with abundant showers. Eat and drink abundantly, O beloved. My cup overfloweth. The living church has a living king who has full hands for empty-handed beggars. He will pour out His graces upon you. Your king lives. Don't have small thoughts of Him. And then fourthly, His is a beautiful intercessory heart. A beautiful intercessory heart. What is he doing at the right hand of the Father? Well, one of his key ministries there is to intercede for you. Hebrews 7.25 says he will make intercession for his people without end. Every moment. He ever liveth, the text says. Ever liveth to make intercession for you. Recently we worked on a book by Anthony Burgess, uh, uh, a great underestimated Puritan, but it was one hundred and forty-five sermons on John 17. And a number of those sermons. Dealt with the verses I read to you, 9 through 11 and 20 to 24 about Christ's prayer life, not just in Gethsemane and while he was on earth, but his prayer life when he was in heaven. That he ever lives with this beautiful heart to pray for his own. And if he prays for us, my friend, from heaven as the Almighty, you can be sure those prayers are answered. He says, Father, I know thou hearest me always. And so one of the most comforting things you can possibly experience in this life is that when you come to your wits end, when you come to the wits end of your own prayers, you can hardly even say the word Lord. You can't get out any contact. You're overwhelmed with sorrow. You can just cry out, Lord Jesus, pray for me. Pray for me. You see, do for me what I can't do for myself. Pray for me. And he hears the needy when they cry. And so Christ's mediatorial prayer in heaven encompasses all of his own people. I pray for them, he says. He prays perfectly. He prays effectively. He prays continually for them. And this is an affirmation in John 17, you see, that his prayers are specially designed for his own children and for those who are yet to be gathered in, he says in verses 20 to 24. He says, I come to Thee, Holy Father. And I come praying. I come, verse 11, I come praying for my own. Anthony Burgess writes in his uh, sermons, Jesus goes to the Father and there He is a potent favorite, that is a powerful favorite in the courts of heaven for sinners. Christ is in heaven as the whole treasury that a Christian could hope for, he writes. And his mediatorial intercession is the fountain of all our comfort. So that though I am unworthy to be heard by the Father, Christ is worthy to be heard. And for Christ's sake, the Father will hear him and bless me. What a beautiful thing this is. The intercessory praying of Jesus. And so God in His mysterious, overwhelming, powerful sovereignty that governs every hair of our head, every detail of our lives, He conjoins that mysteriously with the prayers of His own Son so that God's sovereignty and Jesus' prayers merge together to accomplish God's will, which is always good for His own. These words spake Jesus. And lifted up his eyes to heaven. And so you and I are also to lift up our eyes to heaven. Trusting in this praying high priest. Prayer is heavenly commerce with God. And Jesus commerce is always effectual. So lift up the mind. Lift up the soul to God. And let Christ be your model for prayer. Christ never despaired in prayer. Christ always went to His Father in prayer. It is impossible that a child of Christ's prayers in tears should perish. And then fifthly, Christ has a beautiful, protecting heart. Look at the end of verse or question 51. By His power He defends and preserves us Against all enemies. So what we have here is his beautiful protecting heart. All enemies. The greatest enemy. Your old old nature. But also Satan. The world. The tempting Satan. All enemies. You see, he conquers with his beautiful heart. Defending you. Preserving you. Keeping you from yourself. Keeping you from the devil. Have you ever had times in your life where you just said, Lord, I'm my own greatest prodigal. To my own heart, because I have a prodigal heart always running away from Thee. I'm my own greatest obstacle. But Jesus says, I'll keep you. I'll bring you back. I'll bring you to repentance. I'll save you. The new man may lose many skirmishes, but the new man will not lose the war to the old nature because Christ sits at the right hand of the Father, and He's mightier there than you and than all of His people and all of the devils combined. He's all-powerful. So He'll protect you. He'll defend you. He'll keep you. He's the King, after all. The Lord of lords and the King of kings. What comfort, 52, is it to thee that Christ shall come again to judge the living and the dead? That in all my sorrows and persecutions, with uplifted head, notice the intimacy of this language, I, changes now from us and we, second person, his, third person, his. I look for the very same person who before offered himself for my sake. To the tribunal of God, and has removed all curse from me to come as judge from heaven, who shall cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation, but shall translate me with all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joys and glory. It's intimate language coming from the beautiful heart of the Redeemer. What a Savior we have! He's coming. From the right hand of the Father. He's coming. Can you hear His footsteps already? He's on His way. He's near at hand. He's coming. Judgment shall be prepared. Judgment shall be pronounced. Judgment shall be executed. But for the godly, all three of these things shall be sources of great encouragement and comfort. Intimate comfort from the beautiful heart of the Lord Jesus Christ. That is for all those who are lookers for Him. Hebrews 9.28 Unto them that look for Him shall He appear the second time without sin unto salvation. For those who are emptied of their own righteousness and look for His righteousness and then look for Him because they need Him to be their Lord and Savior. You say, they shall find that this Resurrected, ascended, coming again mediator has a beautiful, personal, intimate heart. We're looking. He makes us desirous to look for Him. We long for Him. We want to know Him. We want to know Him better. We feel how little we know Him. We say, oh, that I would know Him better. That's a mark of grace. If you want to know Jesus better, you are a child of God. Plain and simple. The unsaved never want to know Jesus better and better and find all their life in Him. I look, I look for the very same person who offered himself for my sake to the judgment hall of God, to the tribunal of God, You see, this is the beauty of the intimate heart of Christ. On the great day when He comes again, my judge will be my Savior. What do I have to fear? He's paid the whole price Himself. So I look for Him. I long for Him to sit on the judgment throne, which for me will be a throne of grace because of what He has done for me. And so I'm longing for that day. I'm looking for that day. I'm looking for that very same person who stopped me in my tracks. Who stopped me in my mad career to destruction. Who showed me what sin is. That very same person "...who taught me to realize the sinfulness of sin, who cut me off of all my own unrighteousness, and made me come lost before Him. That same person who unveiled to me the fullness of the righteousness of the Son of God, and made His Son precious to me. That very same person who again and again took away my tears and my prayers and my groanings as grounds of my salvation." And led me to His blood alone as my foundation. That same person who taught me all my life to this very moment that He must increase and I must decrease. That same person who's still working in me today, who's still breaking down all my self-righteousness, who's still faithful to me, who still numbers the hairs of my head, who's still a wise, correcting governor, who's still a faithful, interceding priest, who's still a patient, teaching prophet, that same person, I look for him coming on the clouds as judge. My king is my judge. My priest is my judge. My prophet is my judge. My substitute is my judge. The one with a beautiful heart at the Father's right hand. A beautiful governing heart. A beautiful compassionate heart. A beautiful gracious heart. A beautiful intercessory heart. A beautiful protecting heart. A beautiful intimate heart. The one who wants to commune with me. The one who says, I want you to be with me where I am. I want to be able to say, Father, here am I and all those whom thou hast given me. That very same person is coming again. And so I lift up my head. With uplifted head, with uplifted head, I look for the very same person. I long to know him better. I long to spend eternity with him. In the midst of all my sorrows and persecutions, our instructor says, I lift up my head. Faith gives us grace to lift up our heads, to look to Jesus, to that very same person who says it is I, be not afraid. I look up to Him who's coming to make all the wrongs right on the great day, to bring an inward peace and an everlasting salvation. Forever. To wipe away all sin in me. Forever. To have no more infirmities. To be troubled no more with an enticing Satan. A tempting world. A deceitful heart. Trying circumstances. No, in that day, the same person who has taken my downcast head at the foot of Calvary and lifted me up to behold his bloody wounds shall come again to take me by that same blood into everlasting glory. The same person who's never failed me in all of my life's journeys. Even when the trials were so heavy, I felt like I couldn't go on one more day. Even when I was overwhelmed. Even when I felt I have failed him miserably. That same person will come again. That same person with whom I'm united by faith will come and take me to himself. And I will enter communion Eternal communion land with the Lord Jesus Christ. And He'll take me into the inner King's chamber. He'll commune with me. He'll hold me in the palms of His hands. He'll embrace me with His high priestly arms. He'll take me to His high priestly heart. He'll commune with me as a friend to a friend. The best friend anyone ever had. In fact, says our instructor, He'll translate me. I love that word here. I look for the very same person who before offered himself for my sake to the tribunal of God and has removed all curse from me to come as judge from heaven who shall cast all his and my enemies into everlasting condemnation but shall translate me with all his chosen ones to himself into heavenly joys and glory. He'll translate me. When you translate something You move it from one language to another. You say the same thing, but you have a new language. God's people won't enter a strange heaven, but it'll be like a new language because sin will no more be in the way. And whatever physical language it will be there doesn't matter at all. The the important thing is that I'll be translated. I'll be translated above the realm of sin. I'll be translated above the realm of disappointment. Above the realm of tears. It'll be a language that I knew in principle here on earth. But now it will be perfect. Now it will be, it'll be mistake-free. Now it will be a sinless, perfect translation. A language of translation into pure joy with no more trial, no more sorrow, no more night, no more grief, no more sea, no more trouble with myself and my own miserable, cursed unbelief. It's that I don't believe in the Son of God as I ought to believe. It will be done. He'll translate me. Into heavenly joys and glory. And I'll be so like Jesus that I'll be as holy as He is holy. Sin free in Emmanuel's land. Yes, He shall lift up my head. He shall cast away all His and my enemies. No more enemies. Nothing more to oppose the life of grace and glory. And He shall translate me. Sinful, wretched me. That is one-sided, free, sovereign, glorious grace. My friend, are you prepared for that glorious day? Are you prepared for the beautiful, intimate heart of Jesus who will commune with you as friend to friend? There's nothing, nothing so sweet in all the world is communing with Jesus through His Word. You know, there was a man named Galatius, and let me end the sermon with this, who was an Italian, and he was converted to the Reformed faith, genuinely converted to Christ. So he left Italy, and he came to study under John Calvin. He left all of his estates behind. He was a wealthy man. And Rome wrote him a letter. And they said, if you'll only come back, if you'll only come back, we'll restore all your estates. All the millions and millions and millions of dollars worth of possessions you have. And Galatius wrote this letter back to them. He said, I have learned I have learned that one hour of communion with Jesus on this earth is worth more than all the estates of men. Keep your estates, because I want communion with Jesus. Young people, boys and girls, to know Jesus is better than anything in this world. He's available. He's sitting right now at the right hand of the Father. And He invites you to come just as you are, with all your problems, with all your sins. Don't make yourself try to look better. Don't play games with God. Just come just as you are. Say, Here am I, a sinner. But I need Thee, Jesus. O oh God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Escape for Thy life. Go to Jesus. Amen. Gracious God, we thank Thee so much for Thy Son, Thy beautiful, beautiful Son. We thank Thee for His beautiful beautiful heart. And we pray that we might know that heart more and more at the right hand of the Father in our lives and one day spend eternity knowing it better and better and better. Lord Jesus, we thank You so much for Thy dying grace and Thy living grace, for saving Sinners by thy blood and for keeping them saved by thy intercession. Come again, Lord Jesus. Come quickly. And go with us into this week. May we live out of an intercessory Savior this week and next and next all our life. And may we come to treasure thee At the right hand of the Father is our dearest friend, a friend that sticks closer than a brother. In Jesus' name, amen.